Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. Good morning, everybody. And we're going to start out with um, two two buds, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we, we've interviewed them so many times, but they're very prolific. Um, they're, they're funny, they're smart, uh, they're talented. We're talking about Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough. And uh, this is a book that you're going to love because... They tell it as it is, the Kitchen Shortcut Bible. So, so you're going to leave today's program with lots of ideas. Oh, lots of new hacks. About, about how to make your kitchen work more efficient. Well, we've been waiting a while for this interview because these guys are so prolific. Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough. How many cookbooks have you produced? <laughs> well, this is Mark, and uh, I can say that it is 30, not counting the ones that we produced for celebrities, not counting the ghost-written ones, just the ones under our own steam. I see. Okay. And um, one of you is a writer and the other a chef. Bruce, you're the yeah, chef. Yeah, and uh, this is Bruce, and I'm the chef in the team, and Mark is the writer. You know, this is kind of natural for you to figure out that this is what you two should be doing, right? Well, we started doing this, again, this is Bruce, and we started doing this together almost 20 years ago. Our first book that we wrote together was published in 99. Wow. um, The Ultimate Ice Cream Book. And that is still selling well and selling strong. And 30 books later and almost 20 years later, we are still at it. We have the Kitchen Shortcut Bible out this month. We have an Instant Pot book out in October and many more ideas in the works. Wow. Me too. It's amazing. You have such stamina. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the one that he's referring to is this book. is called The Kitchen Shortcut Bible. And um, tell us what motivated this, the fact that nobody has any time anymore. <laughs> Again, this is Bruce. People want to cook, but they want to get out of the kitchen faster. And it's funny because if you go online and you just look up kitchen shortcuts, you get tons and tons of hacks, just kitchen hacks, like, you know, turn a, a muffin tin upside down and put a tortilla <laughs> in it to make a taco cup. Like cooks and we decided, you know, Mark and I decided that a really good cookbook is not, to save you time, is not a book of hacks. Right, Mark? Yeah, it's not necessarily cheap tricks for the kitchen that somehow, oh, I don't know, as Bruce says, take a common cooking equipment and and make it into something different. You know, um, you know, clip all the wires on your whisk and use it to dip in batter and make <laughs> strings of fried dough. Or something. Nobody, this, oh, my, this is very funny, but after so many books, I have a general rule for me about what I think works, and that, <laughs> and that is, what would my mother do? And <laughs> my, my mother is a suburban Dallas, Texas housewife, and and she is not going to clip her whisk no. and make threads of dough in oil. <laughs> so, Anne, let me say that what we've, what we've done instead is, rather than a book of hacks, we really created a very useful cookbook in which every single one of the 200-plus recipes uses a tool or a technique or an ingredient 
in a way that saves you time and that, more importantly, gets a delicious dinner on the table. Well, you know, I haven't cooked through this book, but, I mean, I look at a recipe like instant gnocchi, and I can't even imagine it. Well, you know, gnocchi takes so long, you have to bake the russets and then cool them and put them through a ricer. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try making it with dehydrated potato flakes and see what happens. Which aren't just dehydrated mashed potatoes. That's all they are. And in the end, they worked out so beautifully that it's almost impossible to tell the difference between the two. And that was like a terrific way of giving someone a shortcut but still get a delicious dinner on the table. Now, some of the other things that you go for are actually already prepped uh, ingredients that, that you can buy. Um, yes, I worry are. about those because it's, uh, that's where you're finding all the salmonella anymore. Well, you are. But I want to say that we worked a long time, this is Mark, and we worked a long time with frozen chopped onions. You know, I mean... <laughs> Let's face it, I'm, I'm a cookbook writer, and I've seen the bags of frozen chopped onions in the supermarket, and I have rolled my eyes countless times at them. Mm. Um, but we kind of played around with them long enough until we figured out this, this trick to making frozen chopped onions work, and that is to add half or two-thirds up front into the fat for oil, into the fat or oil for flavor, and then adding the remainder late in the cooking process for texture, because they do break down more quickly, they do release a lot of moisture, and we played around it with it enough until we thought we could create something with frozen chopped onions that was actually as if you used a fresh onion, except now you're using a convenience product. I should say that brings up, again, the still mark, that brings up the whole thing about this book. This book actually started as a, as an, as a feature article for the Washington Post, all about how to cook with, conven- with pre-chopped onions and pre-chopped bell peppers and all that, and how, how to make things that still taste good without everything being soft and gross at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that really impressed me in this book was your Crisp, no-chop waffle iron cauliflower patties. I mean, I mean, well, and those, you those hit are all so the delicious. things. Yeah, I mean, you hit so all the good. trends. I mean, right there in one recipe. Well, rice cauliflower is one of those convenience food products that is so useful. And yes, everybody loves it. Everyone's eating it instead of having carby rice and real carbs. And we thought there's got to be so much more to do with it than just use it instead of a starch. So by mixing in some breadcrumbs, some cheese, and some eggs, pop it in the waffle iron, and you have the most amazing crispy vegetable fritter. Savory. Savory. That's savory. Any of the hard work. Brilliant. (laughs) And one other thing, let me tell you, there's one of my favorite things in the book. Again, trying to figure out how to make something I love so much, not of all the work, was pastrami. I adore pastrami. (laughs) But making it is... You know, you have to start with a brisket, and then you got to pickle the brisket, and you got... And then I thought, wait a second. By the time I take that brisket out of the brine to smoke it, really all I have is a corned beef. So I thought, hmm, what if I bought a ready-to-cook corned beef in the store, and I tried turning that into brisket? And not only did it work, 
it worked so well that I said, okay, now, how can I do it without the smoker? And in the end, by taking a store-bought, ready-to-cook corned beef, coating it in pastrami spices, and then steaming it or pressure cooking it with liquid smoke, it tastes like you spent three days making pastrami. I'll be darned. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually a fan of liquid smoke, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, it, it works beautifully in that application. It does. Well, I'll try it, yeah. Um, you, you, it seems to me that your favorite piece of kitchen equipment is the colander. I've never seen so many colander recipes in my life. <laughs> we we love the colander, and this is uh, actually, uh, if I can just toot my own horn, this is the writer's idea. What I don't remember what was happening at one point, but there was water being boiled for pasta <laughs> on the stove, and Bruce was putting the pasta in it. And I said, you know, it seems like such a waste to boil all that water and then you're just going to dump it out again, or maybe you add a little bit to thin out a sauce. But, you know, most of that just is going to go down the drain. Yes. And not that it's not my suggestion. That seems like so many steps that are miss- that are added to a pasta recipe. And so we've got this idea to put certain ingredients. Obviously, you can't put a chuck roast, but certain very <laughs> quick-cooking <laughs> ingredients like... <laughs> like small shrimp and, and thin asparagus spears and basil leaves in a colander so that you pour the hot pasta and the water over them, let it sit for a minute, it blanches and cooks them, and it's ready to go. It's ready to go into a, into a bowl of, I don't know what, uh, a, a, a butter and spice and hot sauce mixture in a bowl to make a sauce. And we call this Bruce, and we call that colander cooking. Yes. And it makes life so much easier because after you've cooked the pasta, you no longer need to take a skillet out to make the sauce and toss everything up. Your sauce ingredients go in the bowl. You drain the pasta over the, the other ingredients the way Mark described. You toss it all together in a bowl, and you're done. That's you know, amazing. No, I, I was looking for really quick ideas here. So I zeroed, in, Cox, zeroed right. in on a couple of things here. Two easy ideas to speed up your cooking. Go ahead, guys. Explain. <laughs> uh, well, one of them is to think ahead. Okay. So, well, actually, that that makes the thing ahead means you're gonna you're gonna do some cooking ahead. So, you want to really speed up your cooking. Don't thaw your chicken breast or steak. We give you instructions in the Kitchen Shortcut Bible of how to cook boneless, skinless chicken breasts and strip steaks straight out of the freezer. And in fact, they often come out better than when you thaw them. Now, the, the, page, the page I'm on, it says, beef up your equipment with small, simple purchases. Everybody knows about the benefits of a well-stocked pantry, but you can uh, also stock up on the tools in your drawers. <laughs> there you go. Everybody has tools in their drawers, right? That's for sure. Yeah. Money, yeah. Money. Absolutely. And rethink those tools, because you buy these tools thinking you're going to do one thing with them, and you could do many things with them. You think a garlic press because you bought it is great for garlic. Well, you're going to make a Caesar dressing. Put that anchovy right through the garlic press with the garlic, and it mashes it up perfectly. You could put pickled onions through the garlic press to help yeah. make a marinade. One tool can do many things yeah. to help save you time. Pickled cocktail onions and pickled jalapeno rings put through a garlic press and then mixed with olive oil. That it's sounds just good. It's <laughs> the easiest marinade I can imagine. Yep. 
You know, the one thing I question is this frozen turkey because I had a friend who always forgot, to, even at her own wedding, she forgot to thaw her turkey. And she had one of those big things, you know, that was standalone roasters from yeah, yep. Lord knows when. And, uh, but she would just take her turkey frozen and stick it in there, which was okay yeah. until we had that little paper bag with all the gizzards in it. Well, you have to remove that. You have to remember that about an hour or two in, when the turkey starts to thaw, to reach in there with tongues and pull that paper bag out before yeah. it keeps working. It was always a little surprise. Well, now, <laughs> now, now here's, here's the next one in the same chapter. Number two, shop the salad bar at your supermarket. Oh, that that is, I think, one of the smartest things people can do. Because okay. your salad bar has everything sliced, diced, chopped, shredded, washed, so it's clean. You could probably even find hard-boiled eggs and crumbled bacon there. And you can get the ingredients for half the recipes in the book right at the salad bar without any waste. I'm, well, we will, uh, uh, let me add. Without any waste, but it is more expensive. So you you do have to pay for that convenience. But in some ways, maybe it's better to pay a little more and you can buy a quarter cup of chopped celery off the salad bar than to buy one of those containers with three cups of chopped celery from the produce section and then have half of it go bad. And I don't know about you guys, but I always have half of it go bad because I never use as much as the pre-chopped stuff as I buy. And so going to the salad bar has always been my go-to answer. Right. That's now, right. Next, next section was three secret weapons in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, you like that one. Yeah. Well, I like that, I like that one because you, you got one of them right as well. Well, what's your favorite one? Well, and, and says lemon juice and everything. I do. Yeah, uh, I do. And they just lemon juice is one of those magic ingredients that makes everything taste brighter and fresher, and it it just like, I don't know, you just take anything from a salad dressing to a marinade to even a roast chicken, right. and you squeeze a little fresh lemon juice on it, and it just tastes like you spent all day cooking it. I mean, perhaps I'm saying too much, but those three oh, secret ingredients. The, those three secret ingredients a- 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 occur all the time in our recipe testing. That, I mean, they're balsamic vinegar, lemon juice, and honey. And I swear to God, if we think that a recipe isn't quite right, we'll say, well, what about balsamic <laughs> vinegar, <laughs> lemon juice, or honey? <laughs> right. What what, 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 Anne, what Anne says is it needs a little more salt. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, well, I mean, but, I think undersalting is one of the worst Hold on a minute. Let's, let's go through further with your concept on the lemons because Peter's shopping instructions say if they have organic lemons, buy a bag because I always need one and she puts them in the freezer. I wash them and dry them. Put them in 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 the freezer freezer bag and put them in the freezer. And when she wants one, she puts it in a microwave for 30 seconds and it's perfectly soft. Even I can squeeze it. Well, that's, that's that? a great idea. Love I've, your idea. I've never tried it. That's fascinating. It works with lunch, for, for $500, you can put it in your next book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> that is fascinating. But lemon juice does, boy, I tell you, it does fix a multitude of sins. It does. It does. Now, um, 
the what's happening with all these new I mean our kids when they got married wanted a slow cooker. And um then we somebody sent us a rice cooker that cooks three different layers of food and I gave them that. Uh, then we got um a, a waffle iron and we gave them that. Then we gave them these individual pot pies or whatever they are, little individual pies, and we got that. But now they want an instant pot. <laughs> Why do you need that? And well, an instant pot is an electric multi-cooker. Mostly, first and foremost, it's a pressure cooker. It's an electric right. pressure cooker. I gave my pressure cooker away because somebody promised me I could make risotto in it, and you can't. <laughs> oh, no, no, you didn't follow the right recipe. We wrote the great big pressure cooker book. We disagree. And you can make risotto in seven minutes with no stirring. That, that was our go-to dinner when we lived in Manhattan before we moved to the country. To come home from the theater, open a bottle of wine, and make risotto in a pressure cooker. But I will agree with you that it is temperamental, and you have to figure it out. And it, it no, you can't do it with it. A lot of people write these pressure cook recipes with risotto, and it doesn't involve any stirring. You do right, our recipes all involve yeah, all involves stirring. I can remember was a chef who told me about this with this risotto and the pressure cooker, and I couldn't get it to work at all. Huh. Yeah, well, again, all our recipes involve stirring for five minutes up front, then under pressure, and then stirring at the end to, to as it boils back down. And stirring the cheese at the end. Right. But So to the Instant Pot is, first and foremost, the pressure cooker, but it also does, it acts as a slow cooker, it acts as a rice cooker, it acts as a yogurt maker. Their newest models even have a sous vide setting and a canning setting. So they do a lot of things for one machine, and that's kind of why they're so popular. And we're, we are such big fans that we've actually written the Instant Pot Bible, which will be out in October. Yes, well, I'm going to read that because I'm, I'm still debating because I don't do, I don't use a lot of the stuff that I have as it is. But, I mean, maybe if it's all combined in one pot, I might use it. So, um, Anyhow, I have I won't be able to do it until I get your recipes. However, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the Instant Pot Bible is quite. It will be. It's not. A, this is a nice thick book, the Kitchen Shortcut Bible. But that thing that I just turned in for the Instant Pot Bible is going to be a. <laughs> the the editor keeps calling it a behemoth. So oh, yeah, yeah the, the, the the Kitchen Shortcut Bible is three hundred and fifty two pages long, and the Instant Pot Bible will be probably coming in close to 500. Yeah, 500, 508, does, somewhere in there. Does that Mr. Wang have a, like, he has a copyrighted or patented, rather, he has a patent on that? Is he the only one who makes it? Uh, well, he's the only one who makes the Instant Pot. There are other brands of electric multi-cookers that do much of the same thing. Um, How about Breville? Do they do one? Breville makes one they call the fast slow cooker because, again, you could cook on slow cook setting or on pressure. Um, the Breville actually allows you to customize whatever pressure you want. You is that a good one? High pressure, low pressure, anything in between. Somebody wants yeah, those are nice machines, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Shall I hold out for the <laughs> you should You should hold out for the Instant Pot. And we can't quite say 
why, but there's a specific reason why okay. you should hold out to the Instant Pot till the middle of this summer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that's happening with the machine that is quite revolutionary, but we unfortunately are still caught on confidentiality agreements. Okay. So that's it. You gave me a a lead on the path, so I wait before I start harassing Mr. Wang until the middle of the summer. (laughs) 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 But then I have to wait for your book to come out in the fall. Oh, you two are just too much. I just I enjoy talking to you. I'm glad you <laughs> write so many books so that we can talk to you more. I well, guess. thank you. We love talking to you, too. Yeah, Peter's I'm, looking I'm at gonna go through, I'm going to go through this book. Either. There, are all the, there are all these things called voila. 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 What is that shortcut and... Voila, you have dinner on the table. You know, well, this, this one, I like this one. There's, there's a reason why your stove burners go up to high. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that came about because for years, uh, for several years, Bruce and I taught cooking classes on Holland America ships, okay. on cruise ships. And we would teach hands-on classes on the ships, um, and we just, well, I, I would tell you that, that the biggest thing we did with people is we would walk around and turn their heat up. Because people would try to saute an onion at low heat. And it, <laughs> we don't want to be in this class until, you know, kingdom comes. So, oh, people love love. We were at my mom's house once, and she loves to cook. And she was making, I think she was doing a pork loin roast with some fig reduction sauce. And like 20 minutes later, she came to the room to get me and said, I don't know, this sauce is just not reducing. It's supposed to reduce in three minutes. I don't know how long is it going. She said, 20, because she had it on the barest simmer. Oh, jeez. So you, ha- you have to use your high heat. There's a reason it's there. Use it. Mind you, mind you that Mr. Weinstein's mother generally makes a pork loin for Hanukkah or Passover. So. Well, yeah, no, her favorite is not Passover, but for Hanukkah, it's always latkes and pork loins. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Peter is the master latke maker, and, and he annoys our, our daughter-in-law as much as possible by making them in her kitchen and setting off uh-huh. the uh, smoke detector. <laughs> So he puts it on high. I mean, he puts it on high. Here's one to close, close with. It, it, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not exactly a shortcut, but I, I cooked uh, sirloin steak last night. And, uh. I, and I did it the way I always do it, which is I season it with a little barbecue sauce, preferably stubs from Texas, both sides. And I add a little, little bit of uh, grapeseed oil in the pan, just, just enough mm-hmm. to stop it from sticking. Put it on there, two minutes one side, two minutes the other side. If I can hold it on the ends, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So those pesky little end piece, end fatty pieces get really cooked. And then into the oven it goes. Yeah. Now it, well, that is, now that is a great way to do a steak. We, that, we refer right? to that technique as the sear and shove. Right. Sear exactly. and shove, okay. Sear and right. shove, I love it. Because there's, <laughs> there's some people who say that that's not the right thing to do. You shove first, and then you see it. No, yeah. no, no, no. We're big fans of the sear and then the shove. We are, but they actually, there are other people, you're right, who do claim that, what, at 250 or even 200, a very low oven, and you leave it in there for a long time. 
Julia, and then, then you brown it. And then, Julia and then you take it. used to do that with prime ribs, right? Yeah. You put it yep. in the oven and it's high, and then you turn it off. I mean, I never thought that worked either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to do a prime rib at about a 175-degree oven for like six hours, and it comes out of the oven looking rare without any crust on it, and then you crank the oven up to 500 and oh, give it 10 good. minutes to brown it. And voila. So, and voila. And voila. And voila. And voila. And voila. Oh, yeah. okay, you let's, let's have a party, you two. <laughs> Sounds fun to me. You, you shall okay. henceforth be known as the voila guys. <laughs> there you All go. right. The book now, listeners, is The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, and it's Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough, uh, no, over there, Scarborough. And keep your eyes open for the next one, which is going to be the Instant Pot Cookbook, which I'm going to lay claim to as soon as I can. And we'll, and we'll, <laughs> talk, and we'll, we'll talk to you in October. So keep on, working on, keep on working on the book. We hate to be disappointed. <laughs> we are working on it, and we'll look forward to speaking to you then. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Don't you feel smarter already? Well, you'll continue to get smarter if you stay with us because we'll be back right after the break with more in the kitchen. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Our next guest is Anne Ma, and her book is entitled Incidentally French. And let me just tell you what it is. She cooks French. A lot of us like to cook French, but she discovered that most French cooks do not wait around for everything to take hours to braise and reduce. There is this little thing called the electric pressure cooker that you could find today in almost all French kitchens. And she has a, this book out that tells you what you can use it for, recipes for using it, and how you can have all that flavor with half the amount of time. Probably even even less than even less than half. Less than half. The, the, le- the biggest l- lesson for Anne was that, uh, for, that's, that's our programs, Anne, was about making risottos. If you've always wondered about how to make risotto efficiently, that's one of the things you're going to find out. So stay with the discussion all the way through, if you would. Anne Ma is an international person. We're talking to her in England, although she's living in France, and she actually is American. But she's an expert on French cuisine, and in her book, Instantly French, Classic French Recipes for Your Electric Pressure Cooker, she discovered a secret of longtime French chefs is a pressure cooker instead of that long, long simming simmering and uh, waiting around for things to stew and roast, right? That's right. Yes. Uh, so when did you become devoted to 
the pressure cooking. And I, I cooker. And I must say, um, I'm going to specify it's an electric pressure cooker. And of all the people that we interview about instant pots and pressure cookers and whatnot, they all favor the electric, the control you have with an electric one. Oh, I grew up being afraid of pressure cookers. I had seen Breakfast at Tiffany's many times, Me including the scene where the pressure co- cooker explodes. Right. Spaghetti on the ceiling, re- embedded in the ceiling, right? I've done that. Exactly. <laughs> And that gave me a real phobia. But when the Instant Pot came out, I'm not a fan. I'm not someone who's a fan of one, of one time, you know, one use gadget. So I was a little skeptical. But it was my dad who read an article about them and sent me an Instant Pot as a gift. And the second I opened it and uh, cooked up a pot of, I realized what an amazing tool it is for the busy cook. It's, uh, these beans that I made were absolutely perfect. They were velvety, they were uniform, and they had cooked in about 25 minutes. And that's what really turned me on to the pressure cooker. And then from then, uh, from that point, I started thinking about how else I could use it. And as someone who has lived in France for many years and studied French cuisine, I immediately recognized that it could be a fantastic tool for classic French country cuisine. Yes, and it is. You, I, Peter and I were just sitting here saying, what is it that we do that takes so much time to cook? I, I, we had a pressure cooker, and somebody told me I could make um, risotto in it. Well, you couldn't, actually. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to, you don't give up stirring to make it in a pressure cooker. Um, but we, Well, actually... I, sorry, I just have to say, risotto is one of the recipes in my book. Right. Um, and while it's it's not a French recipe, uh, people in France really like risotto. And with the electric pressure cooker, it is an amazing shortcut to just it. You can cre- cook risotto in about five to ten minutes, and while it comes out soupy at first, you can reduce it further after the pressure cooking is finished, uh, and it and it. Attains a perfect consistency. You, the other recipe. So, so it's like, in this case, it's like a two-step process. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that I accept. I mean, I didn't, they didn't, in the directions that came with the pressure cooker, tell me about that. And uh, they, they sort of misled me into believing that you didn't have to do that. <laughs> so, so I gave away the yeah. pressure cooker, and now I wish I had kept it. But um, it wasn't electric. But uh, uh-huh. uh, yes. Yes, yeah, I think that makes a difference. And the recipes in your book, um, and right away, I mean, artichokes are a great waste of time for me. I mean, my family likes them whole steamed, and it takes forever. It absolutely does. And uh, it also takes an enormous pot of water exactly. uh, that takes forever to bring to a boil. But artichokes in the pressure cooker are, as I said, very uniformly cooked and very quickly cooked. Um, you can cook them in about, you know, depending on the size of the artichoke, from six to ten minutes. And they come out really with that wonderful, crisp, tender heart that I love so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I think about the only, about the only thing that I cook that cooks for a really long time is tongue. Oh, that tongue. <laughs> do, do you have a tongue, um, recipe? I don't know. I, I didn't, didn't look for a recipe for it. Do you have one? Because you just have to be patient. I do, not have, I do not have a tongue recipe, although I like tongue a lot. Um, I think the closest recipe I have to any type of 
awful, which French is beloved in French cuisine, yes. is a recipe for a country pate, uh-huh. which cooks in small mason jars instead of a tureen. And country pate can take hours to cook in the oven in the traditional method, but in the pressure cooker only takes, you know, about half an hour. Right. And yeah, this, the, the other... The secret for me, the secret for me and cooking, cooking tongue is it's only worth doing if you can get three. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so I cook three at a time and we eat them for two weeks. <laughs> well, you, you, you use Ann Willen's recipe, don't you? Uh, yes, yes, I do. Yes, Ann Willen's. And it's a lengthy process, I'll tell you. Well, it's a, it's a, well, sever, it's a several step process. Mm-hmm. I imagine she's a very authentic recipe yes, writer. Exactly. And I think tongue would be a perfect in, a perfect ingredient for the pressure cooker. Yeah, I think yeah, that would yeah. you have help to, us. You have to get it to a certain point, and then you peel it. So, uh, get, getting to getting to the point of peeling it quickly would would probably be really good. I think. Oh yes, and the the other thing is, I, I'm always amazed and never allow enough time for cooking eggplant and roasting it in the oven. And you have a good yes. recipe for that. For making the caviar. Absolutely. I also find that eggplant just takes forever to why? cook. and never really, I don't know. I don't know why. But I, I also have felt frustration at the length of time it takes, especially because eggplant season is in the summer, which is not generally <laughs> a time that I like to heat up the house with the oven. Um, so I did develop a, a clever shortcut, which is to char the eggplant first and then finish cooking it in the pressure cooker. Right. And you develop that very creamy, uh, soft consistency very quickly. Another th- another thing that probably takes a while, actually, now I think about it, is beets. I did, beets, I, right. I just, got, I just got some today, and and uh, boil, boil, boil beets just take a long time. It's true. They really do. And again, in the pressure cooker, uh, they are, not only do they take a shorter amount of time, but also... They aren't. I find the process not as messy okay. because it splashes red juice all over everything. Mm-hmm. Well, the yellow yeah. is not quite as bad. <laughs> yes, it's true. true. Yeah, if you're fussy about it, you just need golden beets. That's all. <laughs> um, it's it's like I, I found that when I'm pitting cherries, the cherry juice splatters. I never am aware of it until I see. Uh, like I'll have all these books sitting there. I mean, like. New books, and they all have little red dots all over. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I've done it before in like a pale colored shirt, and then all of a sudden oh, no. I have like a polka dotted shirt. <laughs> well, now, um, what are some of your favorites? I mean, we've talked about the, well, you know, you have David Leibowitz's uh, chocolate cake in here too. Um, yeah. You know, see, I don't, I can't get to that. Point where I can envision. It's just like I never, my sister-in-law also baked angel food cake in her microwave and I never could, I could not get my head around that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you really have, are in love with using it for baking. Well, I think, first of all, it's important for me to include desserts because I think a well-rounded French cookbook should have desserts. Um, but one thing that surprised me during my research into the pressure cooker is that uh, it's something 
that should have been obvious to me, which is that it's a perfect water bath, a bain-marie, which is a classic French technique for cooking desserts, mm-hmm. uh, cooking custards or puddings in a in a bath of hot water that offers an even temperature so that they don't split or curdle. So as it turns out, the Instant Pot is fantastic for making uh, flan or creme brulee, and then, as you mentioned, uh, this flourless chocolate cake, which traditionally cooks in a water bath, cooks very, very quickly in the Instant Pot. You know, we interviewed, um, I can't remember the name of the book. She's an Italian author, and she wrote a book on, on um, uh, inst- not Instant Pot, pressure cooking. Um, but she includes, she said all of her recipes would work with an Instant Pot. Um, she mm-hmm. has all these um, tips on how you segment the different dishes in in one of these pressure cookers or whatever you're using, and so that you can do multiple courses at one time, and, and you know as long as you have them separate in separate containers while they're cooking. I think that's a real art form, and I my book hasn't quite achieved that, although it does have dishes that are sort of multi-part dishes. I'm thinking specifically of a recipe for stuffed tomatoes that also at the bottom, while the tomatoes are cooking in the cooking on a rack below um, is cooking rice. Right. Well, rice cookers do that too. I mean, I, we yes. had we had one that we gave to our son that had three different levels and you did rice in the bottom and then some protein in the middle and then um, veggies on the top. So that's just definitely yeah. yeah. So anyhow, uh, did you throw away all your other cookery stuff? <laughs> well, I. As I said, I, I've not, I've never had a slow cooker. I do still have a rice cooker. Um, and then I, that's, those are basically the only gadgets I have. Now I have the Instant Pot and I really do rely on it for cooking soups or beans or stews. One of the things I like the most about it is that you can just put it on in the morning or if you're in a hurry and have it cooking and then leave the house. You don't have to worry about it. Uh huh. But I thought the idea was it only took a short time. You're saying some things you still have to leave for a while, even even with with your instant pot. It does take a short time, but let's say, you know, for me, I do a lot. I find myself doing a lot of cooking in stages. And so if I have a pot of beans that are going to take about 25 minutes, I'll put them on. And and I feel comfortable just leaving the house and leaving them going. And then I can come home. Sure, sure season them into a, you know, a chili or do whatever I want with them. Do you, do you know the Rancho Gordo guy? Yeah, well, I know of him. Yeah, oh, I yeah. Love he's, him, so. he's wonderful. He, he, he's having a new book come out. His, his beans are absolutely amazing. Yeah, I love beans. You, I agree. If you, if you get a chance to get some of his beans, you, you should kill a couple of people in order to be able to get some. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good. I tried... Yeah, I've tried some of his gigantic black beans, and they're just fantastic. Aren't they? Yes. <laughs> so where do you go from here if you've already mastered the latest cooking gadget? What's next? <laughs> well, I actually just had um, – I, I, I write about food and travel, and I also am a novelist. I just had a novel come out 
uh, in June. It's about a secret Burgundy wine cellar and the legacy of World War II in France. Uh-huh. So I, I'm interested in a lot of different things. Uh, cooking is a great personal passion of mine, and I love developing recipes, which I've also done for different magazines and websites. But I, I also really love writing fiction. Yes, yeah, see, I, that's what I'd like to do, but I've never seemed to get myself motivated to and disciplined to write fiction. How do you start? Well, you kind of just sit down and, and do it. So the book uh, that I, the book, the novel that just came out is called The Lost Vintage, and it was actually inspired by a summer I spent volunteering picking grapes for the harvest in Champagne. So huh. my, my, yeah, my ideas come from different places, and um, they're all are generally have been food related, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm by myself often inspired by things I never would have thought about before. Now, have you, have you ever, you're a wine aficionado perhaps, have you, have you ever heard of the Hidden Grange? No, I haven't. Well, Grange, Grange is the, is the great Australian, uh, essentially French style wine made by, what's the name of the wine, made, I can't even remember the name of the company that makes it now. But they, 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 uh, somebody, Challenged a winemaker for this grange and sent him off to Europe to figure out how to make a Cabernet Sauvignon. Then, then ah. he came, he came, he came back and created a wine like that. But then the members of the family with the board of directors said, no, we don't, we don't want you to do that. We yeah. Don't, we don't want, <laughs> we don't want that kind of wine under our label. Sepult, I think is the name of it. We don't, we don't Sepulter, want, right? we, we don't want that. But one member of the family winked at the winemaker as, as, as the vote was being taken to not make Grange. So he continued to make it. <laughs> he just didn't tell anybody. Uh-huh. He just didn't tell anybody. And uh, eventually it became respectable to make it. And f- fortunately, there was enough left over for the vintages that had been bogus, if you like. So they became part of the library collection. Of, 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 the huh. Gra- of the Grange wines, which they have at the uh, at the winery just outside Adelaide. Wow, that is a really, really incredible story. Well, yeah, I, you could do something with yeah, that. Huh? Having heard having heard you what you said about the hidden vintage, I thought you might be interested. Absolutely, I, I think wine is such a rich topic um, because there's so many secrets from the past. Um, the the hidden vintage that I refer to in the Lost Vintage is actually a hidden cellar from World War II when Burgundy winemakers and other uh, winemakers from, you know, regions of France walled off large portions of their cellars uh, to hide their best bottles from right, the right, right. German yeah, yeah. I remember, occupiers. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So, they, so, they, so they were available after, the, after 1945, they were still av- they were available, right? And so they unbricked them. Exactly, yeah. That sounds good. Because there's rotten French people. They should have been. They should have been fighting instead of making instead of making wine. Well, and that is also a, a part of the book. Um, okay, good. The legacy of the war and the shame of being occupied, and um, the thin line between resistance and occupation. Got it. Got it. 
Well, it's, you sound interested, Anne Ma. I mean, it'd be nice to get to know you at some point. Where in France do you live? Paris? In Paris. Yeah, okay. And you guys, and you are located in Pittsburgh. We are, yes. We are, but we get, we okay. get, to, we get to London quite a lot. We get, okay. we get released and in the great world a lot. <laughs> and we have, we have friends. Well, I, I also am a big fan of Pittsburgh. Uh, one of my favorite bookstores is there. Which one? Called the, the Penguin Bookshop. Where? Oh, okay. And if it's still there. Where is it? Yeah, it's still there. It's on, it's in Sewickley on oh, the okay. largest, you know, Main Street Sewickley and yes. it's owned by an old friend of mine and it's a very, very lovely bookshop. Great. Very, um, very, she has wonderful taste in books and so. Well, next, um, next time, you, next time you come in, you must give us a call and let us know you're coming. I absolutely would love that. I would love to do okay, that. Okay, and do you, are you going to visit it on your book tour? That's probably not the American release yet. Well, actually, I did visit uh, in June, early June, uh, to talk about the novel and for the for instantly French. Um, we're we're talking about it, so very could very well could be possible. I would love to do that. Oh well, that would be fun. Yes, because mm-hmm. we know our way around the food okay. and drink community. So. so, so what do we say? Vive, vive la France or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> A votre santé, no. Yeah, well, no bon there's so many choices. <laughs> well, and, we, in, in my language, yes, chin chin. I'm surrounded by ends. Yes. But, but that's okay. Exactly. Well, much much success with your book. Again, it's Anne Ma, and the book is instantly French. And uh, all those recipes for those grand old French classics, You'll now be able to whip them up in no time at all. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. I, Thank I you, very much appreciated it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Staying with our French cuisine theme, uh, we move on to another thing. This book is going to my grandkids. Uh, it's called, or probably to my son and daughter-in-law, it's called, um, the book is written by Marty Michaels, um, In the French Kitchen with Kids, and it's brilliant. Uh, if you have kids, you have grandkids, uh, take a look at this book. Well, I'm really pleased to meet you, Marty, Mich- Michelle. Is it Michelle's? Michelle's, yeah. Yes. Um, your book is In the French Kitchen with Kids. Yes. <laughs> and as I said to you when we were chatting beforehand, how very brave of you. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I tried tackling things. And, and Michelle, she said not at all. No. Well, you know, I mean... So I guess if you get the guys into the kitchen, once you get them in there, it's all right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you're... you're um, 
you have so many things you're going on. Tell us, just tell our listeners what all you do and explain this. You're Australian, living in Toronto with a house in southwest France. So I'm Australian. I was born and bred in Adelaide and grew up there until my mid-twenties. I moved to France. Adelaide is swell, by the way. Sorry? Adelaide, I think, is swell. Yes. Hold on a minute. I... I need Michelle to speak up, and I need you to speak down. Okay. You almost blew my ears out. Yeah. All right. Can Can you speak up a little bit more for, for me, Michelle? It was Marty. Marty. Oh, Marty. Yeah. Marty. I'm sorry. Um. So I was born in Australia and grew up um there and lived there until my my mid twenties. I moved to France uh, to pursue studies when I was about 24, and I moved to Paris, where I lived for about five, nearly six years. Um, so I love the French language, and I love the culture, and I love the food. Um, I didn't finish those studies because I actually met my now partner um, on vacation, and he was Canadian, and so I ended up here, where mm-hmm. I live now in Toronto, um, where I now teach French uh, at an elementary school uh, for boys. Um, an independent school. So um, when we moved, when I moved to Canada, um, I found that I missed France very, very much. Um, I missed the culture, the history, the language, the food, and I sort of made plans at every point that I could to go back to France uh, for holidays. I ended up doing my Masters of Education, Master of Arts um, at the University of London in Paris, um, which involved a couple of summers of study in Paris and um, correspondence. And so I could have had my finger in the Paris pie for a little bit longer. Clever, and, clever, clever. Yeah, traveled <laughs> a little bit around after my summer schools. My uh, partner would join me and we would travel around different areas of France. Um, he is working his way through wine certification, so he's very interested in the French wine regions. So food and wine were a really great match. <laughs> and we sort of fell in love with um, Gascony, which is uh, in southwest France. So we have a little house. Um, it's halfway between Bordeaux and Toulouse um, in a little town called Nerac. And it, we've had it for four years. We rent it out uh, when we're not there. Um, we love it. So I spend a fair bit of time there uh, in France, obviously, um, with that as a, a sort of side business. Um, so I've got a lot of French going on in my life. I've got the French language at school. I like to teach my students about culture, so cooking comes into that. We do a lot of cooking in French class, and I also run after-school clubs, which I've been doing for about 10 years, um, teaching kids to cook, teaching the boys to cook. So that's all the things that I do. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot, which is why I let you explain it, because I wasn't sure that I would get all those little bits. Now, when I said you were brave, I mean... I I have a, a, a nine-year-old grandson mm-hmm. and an eleven-year-old granddaughter, but yep. you you sort of automatically introduce the girls to cooking. But I I not in my wildest dreams would would put a, a couple of knives in my grandson's arms. Or okay. Hands. Well, the only way for a kid to learn how to use a knife is to use a knife. Yeah, so, I know. I know. Yeah. Um. And the boys, I find. Um, you know, I mean, teaching all boys is very different than teaching in a co-ed school. Oh, so yeah. it's a very different energy. And they really need to be busy at all times. So in an after-school club, 
They need to be very hands-on, very sort of like doing stuff all the time. And cooking is great because at the end of it, they get something to eat. Um, so that's a very good motivator. Um, but kids love to cook. I think, you know, in the last sort of five, six years, certainly I've been doing this for nearly 10 years after school, and the interest in the club has grown and grown. Um, I think a lot of kids are watching Food Network. Um, they are. are becoming sort of, you know, everyday household names like Jamie Oliver. Um, and, you know... So they're getting exposed to sort of food through that sort of medium. Mm-hmm. But also, um, you know, kids kids can really do a lot. And I think um, a lot of people don't give them the credit for that they're very capable in the kitchen um, because they don't have that background sort of experience of like, oh, my God, pastry is hard or, oh, my goodness, I could never do that because it's difficult. They have no – they come to it with nothing. They just sort of come expecting things are going to work. And it's really, as an adult who is a little bit A-type, me, um, it's yeah. very refreshing to work with that sort of um, that mindset that, like, yep, things are going to be great and things are going to work and they're going to be delicious. Um, I love so, your top tips for, uh, for cooking with kids. Um, well, it's, it's over many, many years of trial and error and, you know, making all sorts of mistakes along the way. I mean, sometimes you might pop your head into my club and it's not pretty in there, but yeah. <laughs> it's real life. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people are afraid. You know, you said I was brave. A lot of people are afraid to get cooking with their kids because they're like, it will be too messy or it will take too long. And I tell you, yes, it will at the beginning, but... The reward is going to be a child who feels confident in the kitchen, who feels, you know, like they they sort of can feed themselves, they can make themselves a meal. And, you know, that time that you spend with your child in the kitchen is really, it's amazing. Like imagine spending, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, like making dinner with your kid, you know, talk about the day. And it's just a really nice kind of way to end your day. Um, Did you read... um, um the, the, the book that Jacques Pepin uh, wrote with his granddaughter. Oh, I absolutely did because I, I, yeah. I sent my book to Jacques and he loved it. So yes, yeah. I I know he's a very big advocate for cooking. Oh yeah, we and, we interviewed him about that. And she's, that book she's, is amazing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, he he really um, she's a natural though. I she think. is, and I've seen a lot of her work on. They did a lot of uh, TV. Yes, I saw her on brilliant. TV. She's just. Brilliant. So yes. what a great role model for kids to see Jacques Pepin's granddaughter cooking alongside him. I mean, how awesome. I know. Yeah. No, no, I'm guilty of this, this demonstrate, don't do. I mean, it's it, you have to resist taking yep. over. For sure. And I mean, I know from, I mean, I have one hour to cook in my cooking clubs from the time that the boys rock into the room to the time that they leave with their food and their That's little Tupperware. Tough. That's it's, tough. It's not very long. Um, I'm pretty, I have very high expectations of what we can do, and the boys know that. They, they always say, well, of course it says in the recipe that it's going to take this long, but we've only got an hour, so we have to make it work. Um, so I know that, you know, at the beginning, the first few sessions of every term, it's going to take a lot longer. So I'll choose different recipes, ones that I know that, you know, we can spend a little bit more time um, doing things kind of correctly to set the boys up for, um, you know, the rest of the term. Because the, they come to me and they spend, you know, between 8 and 14 weeks, depending on how long the term is. And it's the same boys that come. So if I teach them all the nice skills in the first few weeks, then I know that, like, in, you know, week 10, all right, guys, we have 10 onions to, like, dice. Off you go. And I know that they know what they're doing. 
because I've let them, like, get into it slowly. So, you know, I do demonstrate still every time, but it's less and less and it's quicker and quicker as the term goes on. So I know that it's really hard for, for adults who are cooking with kids. You know, they're like, it's just quicker if I do it myself and you're not doing it right. Well, kids are never going to learn if they never get to do something. So, you know, we have a lot of imperfection going on in club and everything still turns out that you can eat it. So I'd say that's a win, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, is the book sort of like a textbook for your class? Oh, not at all. No. No, no I, I, I wondered because it's it's a very, very interesting book. Oh, thank you. And it, and it prob- probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be a bad idea to have it in class. I mean, I, I re- Okay, so I here's really, the thing about using it in class. I have personally... I would say 80% of those recipes I have made with the boys at some point, either in French class or in cooking club over the past, like, five, six years. Um, So these recipes are totally doable uh, by people that don't have – I don't work in a kitchen. I work in a science lab, um, luckily have access to an oven in the actual, you know, canteen kitchen. But uh, we don't have all fancy equipment. So I know that most of these recipes – are absolutely doable with very little kind of like fancy equipment. It's doable. Um, so, yeah, really, um, I've done a lot of these in my French class, obviously in French, translated the recipes, and, you know, my students have even made little, like, recipe videos, how to, how to make baguette, how to make creme brulee, how to make crepes, oh, how to make great. chocolate mousse. So that's their, they do a little research project, and that's the kind of, like, carrot at the end is that they get to make the food but at the same time they get to make a recipe video which is my sneaky way of you know getting them to do um writing because they have to write out the recipe speaking they have to do a voiceover on top of the recipe and you know listening to check that they've done the pronunciation right so it's um yeah they're cooking and they're eating chocolate mousse but they're also learning french at the same time so it kind of is a bit of a something you could use in a classroom, but it's not a proper textbook, per se. You know, here's what I was leading towards. The, the, it's not just information about what the recipe is, what's in it, and that kind of thing. You also have some interesting history of mm-hmm. what, why was this recipe invented? Mm-hmm. When, when, for example, do the French eat crepes? The mm-hmm. French do not eat crepes on Shrove Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, French yeah. eat, the French eat crepes... In, me- in memory of the time when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was allowed back in church. Yep, yep, in February, yeah. <laughs> it's, called so, can- it's called candle mass. Who, the- who knew that? I did. I learned something. The Church of England doesn't have that. Yeah, that's <laughs> Obviously. No, but I just, I think, um, you know, obviously a book about French food is all well and good, but as, as an educator, I wanted it to be, you know, appealing to a kid's sense of, curiosity and uh, kids who are interested in the language there are a few tips about the french language and you know um you know uh, little sidebars about interesting things about the words and you know there's also like sidebars about cooking with kids obviously it's a kids cookbook but i have to say that like the the head notes and the little bits of history and the tidbits i love researching all of that stuff so it was a little bit of like 
me wanting to inject that into the book because I think it makes the recipes really come alive if it's got a fun little history behind it or something fun about the word that, that is in the name of it. Oh, I thought it was really cool. Like You have your Savoyard potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 yeah. Well, not, no, I mean, yeah, first of all, they're absolutely delicious potatoes. <laughs> but but, but who, who knew that Savoyards are people who live in the part of France, in the department of France called... Savoir. Well, of course. <laughs> and, and if you if you were going on to to include this in your husband's work, you would also say that's the area where yellow wine, orange wine comes from. Right. Yes. Um, we unfortunately couldn't include uh, wine pairing tips, although my husband has many ideas about you know the wine pairing tips for the adults, for the parents, and I was like, maybe the next book, but yeah. Oh, I think that would be a, that would be a fabulous book. Mm-hmm. You know what I loved is I never knew that uh, these um, butter cookies, you could buy these mold, um, is it mold for it? Yeah, the little stamps. Yeah, yeah stamps. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> They're that's adorable, cool. aren't they? I, I just think that, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, I get tickled by odd things sometimes. Oh, no, no. As soon as I knew I was doing the book, I was on a big hunt to find those. And you can find them very easily on Amazon, the Petit Beurre stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I didn't. I, did, I, I nearly didn't use them because I, I've really tried to make the book very accessible. I've tried not to use any sort of really hard to find equipment or hard to find ingredients. I mean, you know, a lot of the, my recipe testers remarked that, "Hey, I didn't have to buy anything special." And no, you don't because it's it's really sort of basic ingredients and basic equipment. And I tested all the recipes using electric hand mixer. Obviously, I did with a stand mixer as well, but I didn't want people to feel like, oh, I can't make this because I don't have a stand mixer. So where possible, I've, I've done, you know, a lot of stuff right. by hand and whatever, but the stamp I had to include because they're too cute. So. Yeah. You know, a, a friend and a colleague of mine, she's a food writer, um, she did a really interesting piece, on, and I don't know how you access, access it, uh, anyhow, on she was teaching her two grandsons to cook mm-hmm. and to bake, and um, she compared it to uh, belts in judo. Yeah, <laughs> you know the different levels. And That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was written for for the, the person who wanted to teach their kids how to cook, you know, mm-hmm. and how to approach it. Yeah, and, and so yeah, so you you'd enjoy that if I could figure out how I could find it for you. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I wish you a lot of success with this book because I think it's great. I'm, it's going to go to my daughter-in-law. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, Kate, my granddaughter, is already interested in cooking. So That's fantastic. I, I think my grandson's more interested Philip, in soccer. Philip, we're not so sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's always helped ask to help with the salad and stuff. There we go. Good. Yeah. He has a good sense of conscience directing his attention and concentrating. So, anyhow, I'm Marty. You're the second Marty I've known, by the way. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. There's one of uh, Adam's, our son's classmates. His mother was named Marty. Yeah. I, it's a very rare name. You don't hear it very often. Yeah, I mean, I was I saw it right away and thought that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, much success and and. Good job, Marty Michelle's. Again, <laughs> Thank you so much. In the French Kitchen with Kids. And and if you want to follow her online, check out Eat 
livetravelright.com. That's right. Great. Thank you, Marty. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, listeners, that's all we have. Until next week, same time, same place. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, bye-bye.